Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, where we cover, I think, badminton. I think we cover volleyball, tennis, variety of sports, um, and occasionally football and basketball. I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. Great. Um, everything's fine. Everything um, is fine. How are you doing out here with this horrible heat wave, which was unprecedented, strange weather, thinking you were leaving Atlanta to come here and then you get this crap? I think you guys are all soft. Yeah, That's what this, I think. Is, this isn't anything compared to it's nothing, Atlanta. nothing. Yeah. Now, I do say that uh, currently living about half a mile from the beach. So maybe, you know, I'm not quite experiencing the inland temperatures that are, you know. Why don't you go back out there to the Tarzana where you used to live? That's where I should go. That's where I should go. Um, Because that's nuclear level heat. Um, That's the kind of heat that, you know, really does put some hair on your chest. Because it it actually is nuclear and it, it, you know, adjusts your genetic code. (laughs) Well, there was all that. Wasn't there a lot of, there was some leak, leakage out there in Simi Valley, right? That spilled off. Yeah. 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 So everyone's kind of glowing. a little leak every now and then. Uh, Death Valley, 130 yeah. degrees. 130 degrees. Yeah. Record setting. Record setting. Uh, they yeah. may have been the hottest ever temperature recorded. Ever. Ever. It's kind of cool. We're setting records here. Look, Woo-hoo! all we want to do is set records, right? We just want our names up on that mantelpiece, mantelpiece before it bursts into flames, right? Uh, more importantly, I love the threads. I just want everyone to start a thread this afternoon. Friday afternoon on what they're drinking this weekend. I love those threads. I know you have children and you can't indulge. But You're irresponsible us- to drink anything but water this weekend, guys. Why is that? Because it's going to be hot out. You don't want any diuretics. You don't want anything that's going to dry you out. You want to stay hydrated. I, I hydrate and drink at the same time. Well, then you're just yin and yanging it. I'm just talking about fully yinning it. I'd rather yin and yang than not yin or yang. I get it. Okay. Nobody else does, but I get it. So what should we talk about? Dave, say your line. Say the line, the classic line. We have so much to discuss. There we go. (laughs) Uh, There's so many things going on. I never think we do until you say that. It's it's hard to actually, you know, we were in our pre-meeting, which lasted, God, how long was that thing today? Three, four hours? Damn, we went through a lot. Yeah. I had those those that... uh, PowerPoint. Yeah, Tracy had charts. Like he had the whole thing. Um, it was really a robust presentation, and we narrowed down the topics. But man, a lot of good stuff on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that's true. We're, we'll have to pick up some of that other stuff because we just couldn't go. We don't have enough time. No, there's just not enough time. I mean, we have a hard limit to this, um, you know, recorded show that doesn't have to fit within any time slot. Don't worry about that. We have a hard limit to what we can do for you, the listener. So the next question is. What do you want to talk about? Well, that's a great question, Tracy. Um, we have we have a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a, one news item that I just want to address up top, um, which is like such a perfect encapsula- encapsulation of this moment in time of like nothing really happening in the sporting world because, you know, uh, the ongoing pandemic. Um, Chris Smith didn't announce he was going to the NBA on Monday. It was a non-announcement announcement. Great news. Great news. No news. And you know, it was really funny about it, too. I, I think the whole UCLA community was scared to find out 
Like if I ever talk to any sources, they're all, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> well, have yeah. you heard anything that he that he's not doing it? No, but I haven't heard anything, so that's good. I mean, yeah. that was that I in collecting sources. This was a very unusual uh, uh, instance. Usually, you have people tell you something, and then other people tell you the same thing. This was a collection of a lot of people telling you they had not heard anything. That's how I wrote that story. It was a beautiful story. There are some pretty important people saying they hadn't heard anything, so I went I went by that. But yeah, this the sources were what would you say that the source material was not was nothing. Yeah, but nothing was, nothing is the news here. That's it. Nothing. Exactly. Nothing is the rule of the day. Nothing is the best thing we could have heard. Nothing leaves UCLA still in the position that if and when this basketball season commences, they could be a top 15 team. Nothing is great. And nothing is great, but nothing is also great. Yeah, I like all that. That was very existential. Yeah, no, I'm going deep on this one. Going hard. (laughs) Last week it was was Nietzsche. Yeah, This week it's Sartre or Camus. What are we doing? Uh, We're definitely into... We're we're into either absurdism or nihilism. I'm not sure which, but we're getting there. Whichever way we're going, we're getting there. Okay, I'm a, I'm on board. That was and that was Calvinist, by the way. Whichever way we're going, we're getting there. Okay, you know that's determinism. Okay, so we've we've talked about a lot, right? We're already five minutes and fifty seconds in here, Tracy. I think Chris Smith is underestimating just how great of a non-announcement announcement that was for UCLA fans. Yeah, yeah, I think it, and I, I think everybody needed that. Honestly, I think if he had announced that he happened. was going for the NBA, wow. I think it would have been a like obviously it would be would have been bad a couple weeks ago if he'd done the same thing. But at this given moment, given the cancellations of everything and just I think everybody's reeling a little bit. If he'd also announced to leave, it would have just I think it would have decimated the fan base. I hate the saying, and people say it all the time that that would have been the most UCLA. UCLA thing to do, but God, that would have been so, uh, you know, apropos in this situation that he went back into the NBA draft, but he didn't. Why are we making ourselves miserable? We're not. We're not. We're happy about the nothing. Okay, good. All right. So um, there's that. Let's talk a little bit more about about basketball because I, I see it as... I see it as something that while people are going through a lot in their lives, it can give you a little bit of optimism and joy. Yes, it can. Um, so I, I think an interesting note right now, just because it is, you know, a longer off season is the recruiting situation going on. And I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about one particular recruit that we thought, you know, UCLA should maybe get in on, uh, KJ Simpson, the combo guard from Chaminade, a uh, local guy who... What? Where was he from? Chaminade. Okay. W- which way do you want me to go with that? You decide. <laughs> you said encapsulation earlier, and you said it the way I said it, and I I wondered if you there's something wrong if you'd been drinking, because you could have said that some other way. How else would you say encapsulation? Encapsulation? Okay. Uh, Chaminade. Chaminade. <laughs> I think it's fine. Chaminade. Uh, KJ Simpson, combo guard from Chaminade. Um, he uh, 
ended up not getting a UCLA offer and instead committing not. to Arizona this past Saturday. Um, there was some speculation he might have been waiting a little bit, but he wasn't going to wait forever, and uh, he opted to pull the trigger, um, you know, announced the announcement a few days beforehand or the day beforehand, something like that, and then uh, made the announcement on Saturday, which, you know, leads me to believe that UCLA's probably feeling good about Jaden Hardy, which I don't know what to think about that, but what's your what's your take on this whole situation? Um, I think they are feeling good about Jaden Hardy. Uh, I wrote a story this morning about Cronin's, you know, formula he might have a successful recruiting kind of approach at UCLA, given what we've seen so far. Did a little history lesson, too, which was always fun, about what doesn't work at UCLA, or what did work and then went south, like when it talks about ben, talking about Ben Howland. Um, I think they do feel positive, but like in that story, this is this is going to be a long this is going to be a long recruitment. It's going to go on probably till next spring. Even if he verbally commits somewhere, there's always a threat he's going to go to the G League, uh, the new G League select path. I, I don't even know what it's called. Uh, the same thing that Dacian Nix did. Um, I would think that. Uh, knowing and watching McCronin, uh, there have been plenty of five-star guys that uh, he didn't go after. Or he kind of threw out, you know, threw out a line and see if there were some nipples and there wasn't, so he said, well, screw them. Uh, I mean, I know that to be the case. Never really, I'll give you one instance, I probably have a lot of Arizona State fans hating us, but never really went hard after Joshua Christopher. It was, it was a tough kind of circusy environment in the recruitment. And I don't think, uh, McCronin ever got enough. There was a time there. I don't know. It was like for a month where everyone's thinking, Oh, it's UCLA buzz. Um, I don't think the staff ever thought they were going to get Joshua Christopher. Um, just too much going on in that, in that recruitment. And then never there, I wrote about it. Their approach was, Hey, if he wants to come by campus and come watch this work out, want to come to a game, we'll certainly give him tickets, you know, and he calls us up, we'll talk to him, but we're not going to expend a lot of energy on that. Yeah. Um, this one's different. Uh, Mick Cronin has a connection into the whole recruitment. Um, from what I've learned, I've learned that I think he feels actually pretty confident about getting Jaden Hardy. Um, the buzz that we've heard recently, I think is kind of, I wrote this on the forum is kind of a, like a little bit of an echo chamber. I, there was a little buzz probably about three weeks ago that yesterday was doing better Then everyone keeps repeating it. It comes all the way back and it just kind of reaffirms itself. Um, not saying that UCLA wasn't doing better with Jaden Hardy, but you can't put too much stock in it because it's going to be a long haul of a recruitment, but I kind of trust I kind of trust McCronin that he wouldn't expend a lot of energy on something that he thinks he didn't have a really good chance of it of it turning out positively. Uh, he's very much about cutting <laughs> cutting losses and just saying, "Oh, okay, moving on," kind of thing. Um, so, I and and the thing about KJ Simpson, I, I you know I I had initially been very pro UCLA offering KJ Simpson. And I, and I kind of still am, but I, I see why they didn't, though. Um, 
They never really bought in. I think you can make this case. Never really bought in that he was a pure point guard. Um, they have, in the time that KG Simpson would come on to the team, and if he were going to give backup point guard minutes, don't forget, Tiger Campbell is going to be just a redshirt sophomore next year. And I mean, you would say that he isn't a great pro prospect. He's probably going to be there for at least a couple more years, if not the entire you know, three more seasons. Um, so they're thinking if they, it would be great to get a pure point guard, but if you're just going to take another kind of combo guard, it wasn't a pure point guard going over the scholarship limit and taking KJ Simpson when, you know, you, uh, um, uh, David Singleton could maybe give you the 10 minutes or the 2021 verbally committed guard, Will McClendon could give you that those backup minutes. I kind of see not doing it also, especially when they think that they would have a good chance with Jaden Hardy. Um, because Jaden Hardy coming into that 2021-2022 uh, depth chart is kind of just a really exciting thing to consider. Um you know, he'd come in as literally like a mercenary for a year. He'd do that, you know, one and done kind of thing. That would be the general plan. And I've seen him play. I've talked to people about him who, like NBA people, this isn't like a guy who thinks he's going to be one and done. I, he has a very good chance of being a one and doneer. So throw him into UCLA's existing roster for a year. He gets the backup minutes of Tiger Campbell. He also can play alongside Tiger Campbell. He is a combo guard. He's He's been kind of branded as a shooting guard because he's such a great scorer. But he does create for other people, and it's really kind of a beautiful thing to watch when he does. His handle isn't a point guard, but eh, it doesn't really matter. He would just kind of put, put the ball in his hands in the half court. So he'd get plenty of time. He can guard anyone who's six foot to six five, so he can play alongside anyone. Uh and then let's say that happens or it doesn't. UCLA just goes after point guards in 2020, 2022 when Tiger Campbell would be a redshirt senior or picks it up in the transfer portal. So it's it's nothing to be like jumping off a cliff over that they didn't offer K.J. Simpson. And now let's get Arizona fans to hate us too. Anyone who's really committing to Arizona right now, isn't there an asterisk next to that commitment? There should be if they're not from like Lithuania, right? Yeah. Like if you're a Euro, yeah, sure. That seems like it's the right choice. But I don't know. SoCal kid going to Arizona right now? I don't know. Man. He's got to think. He's got to think something could happen there that, you know, uh, who is it? Dick Vitale is throwing the red flag saying it's going to, they're going to yeah, NCAA. Yeah, it's... Even if it isn't Dick Vitale, we've heard, you know, many times something's going to happen. And just the fact that there's the risk of it, man, it just makes you see it's it's a good it's a good example of fans watch recruiting, and then but they don't get really what it is like from a recruitment a recruiting standpoint, a recruit standpoint in his family. Now you this is kind of a good example. I I'm absolutely convinced that KJ Simpson thinks that there are Arizona has no chance. He's been convinced somehow that there is no chance that they're going to have sanctions. Yeah. 
or just figuring he's a one and done, so it doesn't matter as long as it doesn't happen his first year. You know, like all, all these kids, all these yeah. kids have that idea in the back of their head. Something for you and I just are is so detached from reality, but I bet there is some reality detachment that that is going on there because it is with every recruit oh, yeah. ever experienced, every family. Just not only that they've been convinced that they're convinced that their son is better than he is. Just really, they don't have a lot of a lot of families don't have a lot of information. Well, and uh, their yeah. main source of information are what the coaches are telling them. Yeah. Yeah, and basketball tends to be even more delusional than football in that regard, um, in a couple different levels, but especially in the like, and this is the most easy to touch on, but the the easy delusion for all these kids is that they're going to go pro, um, and in basketball, I would say it's virtually every prospect, virtually every basketball player you see from high school thinks, hey, I've got a pretty good chance of going pro. Um, football is a little bit, you know. More, more of them are realistic, um, but basketball, it's a, it's a delusional mess, especially if they're like, you know, top-ish level AAU summer people. Yeah. So, yes. so, so Jaden Hardy. Um, this will be fun to watch. We have actually something along with them looking for a post player for yeah. the 2021 class. We have this Jaden Hardy drama. Yeah, and I think um, it'll be interesting because um, – you know, with Alford early, we kind of saw him run after and whiff on some big national prospects. You know, that was our big kind of through That's line. Funny. That's funny that you're saying that. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have that story prepared on the back end that I haven't recruited or finished. Dave, have you read some of that or did you just no. bring that up right? Wow, we really do. I mean, I'm not just saying this. We, we think on the same wavelength a lot. Well... Yeah, because we, I think we both have feelings about the uh, previous head coach, maybe a little bit. <laughs> okay, maybe that's – but on so many other subjects too, yeah. like like liquid soap. What do you think about liquid soap? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have strong feelings one way or another about liquid soap, Tracy. <laughs> I don't either, Dave. See? Same <laughs> wavelength. Same wavelength. Okay, go ahead. Um, so, but early on with Alford, we saw him whiff on some guys, especially nationally – that we knew at the time, okay, you're you're kind of targeting outside of your, um, you know, prime hitting zone right here. You're targeting nationally top-level guys. We haven't really seen that from Cronin. The one that you might even say that about, Joshua Christopher, doesn't really count. He was a local kid. And uh, it's iffy whether UCLA was ever really thinking they were getting him. So far, from what we've seen, Cronin's been pretty realistic about that stuff. So... Just to kind of, you know, underscore your point, um, we haven't seen that yet. So my feeling is watching him go after Hardy. Well, okay, so he probably has a better idea than my, you know, my impression from the outside looking in is, oh, that guy's going to the G League. It's not worth the time. But if they're getting indications, then there's nothing in his track record so far at UCLA. But admittedly, it's a short track record so far that makes me think, oh, it's it's croning off on one of his, you know, Quixotic adventures. Quixotic? Quixotic? Uh-huh. Don Quixotic? 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 What are we going to do? I'm not looking it up. I'm not doing the Google thing. I just don't Quixotic. Quixotic. Really? No, I don't know. But I'm going with it. Uh, Quixotic adventure. He's not tilting at windmills. We don't know. It might very well be that they have a much better chance than I'm personally thinking. It's interesting you bring this up because in the story that I actually published today, there was a little mention of our of that previous coach, Steve Alford. Um, 
And yes, talking about that, when, when he did arrive, and, and this, can be, this can be the mindset. It's funny because there, there are generally two mistakes that coaches make when they arrive at UCLA, both head coaches and assistant coaches when it comes to recruiting. Oh, I'm a UCLA now. I'm, I'm going to recruit on Kentucky's level in basketball, right? And then uh, number two, buying a house in the Valley. <laughs> are you considering Calabasas the Valley? I guess it's the Valley. I, I consider the Valley everything from Pasadena to Ventura. There is n- – okay, I might be – wait, I might be hanging up. <laughs> Caneo Valley is not the San Fernando Valley. Is day. it a valley? But it's not the valley. It is doesn't it somehow, have all of that. You know what? I want to say this because I, I, there's an implied thing that I'm looking down on the San Fernando Valley. So I won't even go there because you set me up and now you trapped me and I'm mad. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, but Steve Alford, or, the other thing is that assistant coaches don't step up from work. Like, let's say they were at a, you know, they're at a Mountain West school before and then they end up at UCLA and they're still recruiting like they're at the Mountain West. There's there's two different pitfalls. Steve Alford immediately thought, "I'm a UCLA. I'm Steve Alford, UCLA. I'm recruiting. I'm recruit. I'm going to start moving in and competing with Kentucky and Duke." Which I mean, just thinking about it right now, just think. <laughs> I mean, it just makes you laugh a little. And then on top of it, they those are Nike schools, and yeah. you were going to go into the EYBL and Nike thinking you were going to compete with both of those schools while you're not even a Nike school. Right. Nike isn't going to enhance the recruit. Isn't bo- going to, uh, it was so wrong. And it both was- of their coaches wear suits that fit. <laughs> You've got a thing with the way he dressed. You I, always I've got, have. I've got a thing. And as soon thing. as I said that, as soon as he walked in, I kind of conjured up and, a scenario image. I knew you were doing that. Yeah. See, we're still in the same way. Yeah. Um, there. And then it, it's all about balance. It's about a blend. And I mean, here's, here's a very easy indication that, that, uh, Mick Cronin isn't just going for top 25 saying, Hey, I'm Kentucky now. And within his first, uh, I guess I would, yeah, first year of recruiting. He's taken a commitment from Jalen Clark and Will McClendon, who are not uh, probably McDonald's All-Americans. They're, they're not five-star guys. Um, they're strong four-star guys, but they are guys that fit his system perfectly. They're good athletes who play their ass off, have a great work ethic, and will defend. Does that sound strikingly familiar to you does that is there does that conjure up any memory of another coach at ucla yes yes um ben howland before he uh was bitten by a zombie and became undead zombie ben howland (laughs) it was so far right now from what we've seen okay ben howland in when he arrived at ucla he had it down he knew what he knew who he was he didn't start thinking, hey, I'm, hey, you know, hey, uh, Calipari, you and I, just tell me who you're recruiting because I'm going to recruit the same guys. He didn't do that. He said, this is the way I play. This is my style. 
And now I'm, as UCLA, I'm going to go find these same guys and bring them to UCLA, but I can find a better, even level of athlete. And that's what he did. And he went to three Final Fours in the first five years. Yeah. Then decided not to do that. And I got to tell the story, if you didn't read the story, which you probably didn't. Um, it's the Luke Richard Bamute story. Um, in Ben's first summer, when, after he was hired at UCLA in 2003, he was at the Nike camp in Indianapolis. God, those, that was great back then, those camps back then. It was so much fun to go to those. So I'm, there's a game in the afternoon scheduled. Uh, uh, Bob Mute's in it. And I can't even remember all the big-time guys, all the big recruits, the big names that were in it. But he was too. Ben's sitting in the stands. I'm sitting down next to him. And he had been tipped off about Bamute, that this is a great athlete, good fit, good student, smart kid. And we're watching this game. And as you know, when you're, when you're watching one of those games and you were really scouting and evaluating, it's hard to even watching a, one game, it's hard to evaluate more than one guy. Yeah, you got to kind of watch. That's why the highlight, like we, we all like look at highlights because that's all we can do right now. But that's why watching highlights, it really isn't great because you got to see so much about how they're moving defensively, um, how much they're moving laterally, like what they look like just when they're on the run, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's way better if you can just isolate on them for an entire game. So this game's playing. It was a pretty big game. There were some big names in it. There were a lot of coaches, big name coaches all sitting around. And, and that's when they allowed uh, fans and family in. So there was a lot of people there. I'm sitting next to Ben. I don't know him that well. We're not even talking too much. He is, if you've ever seen that Ben kind of focus, that scowl focus that he gets, yeah, I remember it distinctly. He's just focused on Bahamute. It's just all these other guys are throwing down dunks, hitting 30-foot threes. Everyone's oohing and on. And I'm just watching Bahamute too because I wanted to see, I wanted to, you know, give him my evaluation we're not talking. And I just see him following Bob Mute. He's not watching anyone else. And I swear, I don't think Bob Mute scored a point. I remember he guarded, at one point, he guarded everyone on the floor, every other opponent, one through five. He got a number of steals. He had a couple of blocks. Um, there, was, there was a steal that was very similar to the steal um, in the Gonzaga game, where on the guy's blind side, he just jumped through it and, and ripped the ball from it. I mean, there was some amazing display of his freaky athleticism. And I, we're walking away from the game when it's over, and this certain scout evaluator who we worked with came up to us and said, wow, what would you think? Man, wasn't that amazing? This guy was incredible. He's top five. He's this and this. And I said, you know, I wasn't really even watching um, what'd you think of Luke Richard Bamute? Is all mm, I didn't I didn't notice him. There's too many other guys in the game, <laughs> and we're walking away. And I was Tracy <laughs> Bamute was the best prospect in that game, <laughs> which he might not have been because there were some big time guys, but he was one of the best. And we've said this before. In his last, so that was the cornerstone of a guy that he would recruit in his first five years. His last five years, if he went out to an event and he saw, you know, Luke Richard Bamute in an event, 
he probably would not have even noticed him and he probably wouldn't have recruited him. Yeah. So that's that cautionary tale that dance, dance with the woman you brought. I guess it's, am I mixing up like dance with what brung you? Dance with what brung you. Is the uh, colloquialism. And, And as soon as you get out of that, even, I mean, I'll even say Steve Alford, he found a certain level of guy at, at New Mexico, and he was winning. They played defense, right, Dave? Uh, as far as I know. Yeah, and then gets to UCLA and decides, we're Kentucky West. Howland, after five years, saying, I am I just need a higher level of talent that can shoot. I'm going after this whole different... I don't see this from Cronin so far, and like the big indication is Jalen Clark and Will McClendon not going after every five-star that's out there recognizing when there's a diva kind of uh, recruitment, a kid who's not going to get into UCLA or struggle academically at UCLA. So, so far, everything's good. The Jaden Hardy thing will be interesting to see how this all plays out. If, if Jaden Hardy, let's say, is either not committed or committed to UCLA and then goes to the G League, I can see Mick Cronin saying, I am never recruiting one of these guys again. I, 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 am, I am only recruiting between top 25 and top 100. <laughs> Nobody in the top 25 will get a look. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and you can't go by Peyton Watson because he's an unusual five-star kid. Yeah. Really grounded, you know, good kid, high, great quality family who actually wants to go to UCLA to get better. I mean, <laughs> who to thunk that? That's kind of bizarre. So, well, and his daily brewing uncle. Uh, beat yes. Up. Yes. So, uh, real. I mean, uh, everyone, y'all have a lot to be really, really excited about. And I know we say this every week because we're a little bit desperate for excitement, but <laughs> it really is – it really is legit here what this team could be. Not only next year, they lose, just from this standpoint, they lose Chris Smith the next year, but they get Peyton Watson. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. might lose Jalen Hill, they might lose Cody Riley, or they might not. I mean, and they'll get some big by then through 2021 class or through the transfer portal. I mean, just think, we're thinking about Jaime Aquez a year better. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and that's two years better. Well, and even getting specific about the Hill-Riley thing, I think when we're talking about it, we're speculating, oh, they're both going to be, you know, redshirt juniors who might just be done. But the thing is, if one of them's done, the other one can be easily pitched on, well, hell, you're going to play 32 minutes a game now. Um, I and think- the other element that I – you're right. Let me just say this before I forget it. <laughs> This is the old man's excuse for ever interrupting people. I've got to get this in before I forget it. Um, Jay, it's also about who graduates. Um, they would be more prone to leaving if they do have that degree. And I, I can safely say that maybe Cody Riley might not be have his degree before his redshirt senior year. If Jalen Hill leaves... And now Cody Riley says, okay, well, I'm starting and I don't, I want to stay and get my degree and I'm starting. You can see that scenario where he might stay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny that we're talking about Cody Riley because at the beginning of the season last year. Oh, I was done. I was done. You you were not even just you. I I mean, everyone. I wasn't done. No, you were, you were, you were holding the candle. 
I, uh, I was. I was. Yeah, no, I think I think I I was there with about 90% of the bro message board being like, what? You, you can't play him. You can't. Yep. I got um, texts from so many people going, why do you think this guy can play? Why do you why are you holding out? And, and then and then th- that light turning on was one of the bigger ones I think I've ever seen. Like just suddenly, oh wow, Cody Riley's back. Um, and it wasn't like he, I don't know, he didn't suddenly become more athletic or anything. He was still our ground bound champ, but dude just suddenly was scoring like crazy and also moving his feet on defense. Um, that was I, I think maybe more than anybody that was the um, the buy in like in just full relief um just seeing somebody who like okay clearly not totally bought in at the beginning of the season and then completely bought in by midway through the year and and then if you're a fan of these kids in any way you there were so many games at the beginning and and cody riley is one of the more stoic kind of kids no matter what but you could see some things wearing on him where he'd get a shot blocked or you could just see it, and it, I mean, your heart was going to break. And and then, like that overtime game and things where he, I mean, where he single hand, not single handedly, but he was the big force and a couple of big wins. And and I think I reported after one of the games, I can't even remember that the entire roster and everyone just mobbed him in the in the locker room. I mean, that's got to make you feel good for a kid like that after he took it on the chin for so for totally. so much. Totally. So that was so, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. See, basketball. Yeah, we equals, just need it to happen. We just need we need fun. January first basketball tips off. That's what I want to well, say. Let's let's talk about this because I think basketball is the potential savior of college sports right now. I, I, football. You still don't believe the SEC is going to play, right? I don't think college football is happening. Okay. I think there might be some weird version of it out there. Still, one team plays another, one conference plays another. It's going to be. You saw you you saw UNC and uh, and Notre Dame both went remote this week, right? After your boy, your coach there at what's your what's your nickname for him at Notre Dame? Uh, Angry McRedface. Angry. Didn't he say just about two weeks ago? Oh, we're fine. We're absolutely playing. Everything's Mm -hmm. great. Well, that's becoming an issue because the team is more or less fine, but, and this goes back to the equity issues, they're not extending all those testing resources to the regular student body who are on campus. So there's now some consternation from the regular students that the football team is getting all of these resources devoted to them, but the campus is being left high and dry. Yeah, so football, have no idea what's going to happen, a mess they can uh, basketball can be the savior if they do it right they they work it out and there is a season let's say starting in january right um yes from ucla standpoint though already kind of set back a little in basketball because it still is unless something's happened that i didn't know still the only conference that has officially had its basketball season pushed back to january 1st right yeah okay so as far as I know, damn! What if what if other conferences decide to play their basketball season starting in November? Well, this is where I think because no schedules are equal in basketball, I don't think it really truly matters. I think the big thing will be 
getting enough games in that you can give a selection committee enough of a impression of you before the tournament starts. I think you would still need to adhere to the NCAA tournament schedule, but I think you could get it done because like I was saying last, I think we were talking about last week, there are 11 weekends from the first weekend of January through to the scheduled start of the NCAA tournament. You can just play conference games and have 22 games in. Um, And you declare a true champion because they will have played a true round robin. um, And you don't have to have a Pac-12 tournament. And then you've got 22 games. It's not a full, full season. That's usually right around 30 games. But I think it's enough of a sample size that the selection committee wouldn't ding um, those teams that hard. Um, So other teams from other conferences are playing probably 25 to 30. Yeah, but again, you're talking about, I mean, the reality is November... um, Unless we get some severe, serious advances or whatever, you're still going to be talking pandemic time. So I would guess game cancellations will be a real thing that continue to happen. Um, so, yeah, 25-ish games. I don't think it's going to be too different if the Pac-12 waits and is able to get 11 straight weekends in. And, the, again, this is all assuming things get figured out in the broader world out there. Um, I can say in recruiting, too, UCLA will be in the Pac-12, will be at a disadvantage. Just so, I mean – when you're going after 2021 recruits and who haven't been able to visit your campus and they've got five teams they're considering and the other teams are actually on the court and you can watch them. And it's not just, they can't even watch UCLA, you know, a player's opinion is going to be, well, this other conference is a lot more serious about the sport and PAC 12 and UCLA isn't. Yep. Um, there's that to consider. I mean, that's a tough kind of recruiting disadvantage unique to this situation. Yep. But you do you do you think they're going to pull off a basketball season? Uh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tight. Um, I think. Uh, let's be optimistic. Um, <laughs> why not? You know, yeah. we go so long being cranky. Uh, there's four and a half months right until January first. Um, yeah. In that time. I think either this goes this goes away like it goes one way or not it goes away it goes, what goes a away? it goes a way it goes okay. either much yeah yeah I know I know it was not good it oh, goes okay. either much worse which in which case if it goes much worse there's going to be no choice but to do a lockdown to make sure it goes better again right yeah like we're talking you know if people are you know dying at the two thousand plus a day clip again. Um, heading into flu season, then I think we're going to have another lockdown. And that, I think, will, you know, get things back on some sort of track. Um, Or it gets better somewhat naturally here, which could be due to a variety of theories about immunity and what's causing it and why cases are going down in certain areas and all that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily buy into a ton of it, but a lot of scientists are allowing for the possibility that T-cell immunity is a part of this whole project. So maybe things just start to kind of get better on their own. I think four and a half months is a lot of time for something to develop here. So, yeah, why not? They can play a basketball season starting in January. Okay, so you're kind of saying yes. I think I'm saying yes. Okay. I'm saying yes right now. I I feel the need for optimism. Yeah. Um, Do you think there's any uh, more, uh, let's say, motivation because of that NCAA tournament? by the NCAA to 
to play some kind of form of that tournament? Well, this is where it gets, this is where I feel better about it too, because the NCAA does have more centralized control over this system than they do over college football because of that critical NCAA tournament. And so if it comes, if we hit mid-October, late October, early November, and things aren't looking better, things are still looking pretty bad, they can just kind of unilaterally kick that, you know, a month down the road. And the schedule in football is really tight after the season in terms of all that preparation for the draft, then the combines and all that kind of stuff. It's not nearly as bad for basketball. Like there is a little bit more time built in and there's not quite as much, I think, rigmarole associated with it from like a player perspective. You don't need to like spend eight weeks just training your body so you can run a 40. Like I don't think that is as much of an insane thing. Um, So I think you could push the whole season back a month and not have it be too damaging for anyone. Um, Okay. Okay, so there's a real – well, I mean, you don't think they're playing football, but let's just say in spring somehow they – we could have a spring where there is – It could is, be a lot of fun. Wow, a football and basketball season really – I mean, they do overlap, what, for a month? Yeah, it's the worst It's the worst month of doing this job. It's the worst month by far. It's, it's grueling. But that's what I'm saying. It's going to be – it would be gruel, grueling for a couple of months, but after all of this, it would be fun. Yeah. Right? No, I think it would be. It's going to be very fun from like a fan perspective, yeah. um, and I think from our perspective, it'll be fun too. It's just going to be, you know, it'll be a lot, a lot of work. work. But yeah. whatever, <laughs> the next three or four months, we'll be able to, uh, you know. Well, actually, the thing is, and I'm going to take everyone behind the curtain. Um, the next three or four months are probably going to be awful for us <laughs> as we just strive to find interesting Wait, angles to write Dave, things. Dave, do not pull back that. <laughs> We have so much content lined up. There are so many things happening in the world of UCLA sports that it's actually you're you're right you're right it's going to be hard not to look um, how well we've done so far. I think we've we've done really well. I we've mean, recorded a 42 minute podcast already, Tracy. Ah, that's that's pretty amazing. But yeah. that is really something to look forward to. That football and basketball season literally almost at the same exact time. Yeah. I'm so glad fun. you. I'm so glad you moved out here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. hey! I know what I want to ask you along those same lines. Your best friend. Which way do you think I'm going to go with this? Because that is, you have so many, so many sports figures that are really not your best friend. But when I say your best friend, who do you, who fill in that blank? Who do you think I'm talking about? Chip Kelly. No. <laughs> no. But he is a coach. Uh, coach. A coach. Pac-12, Pac-12 coach. Clay Helton? <laughs> no. Carl Durrell. <laughs> no. See, how many do we have here? No, David Shaw. David Shaw. Yeah, okay. He's. I, I, I would never call him my best friend, but certainly no. a friend. Certainly. Did you, you guys hang, right? Yeah. How many Zoom calls have you and I had, uh, have you and him had together like just having little happy hours he wasn't there for our weekly this week but usually he's pretty regular wow yeah okay yeah i mean he'll call and apologize i'm sure yeah i know he's a very polite guy he'll send probably some wine and cheese so he said (laughs) earlier this week that he doesn't he doesn't see a late like a spring football season he sees it a lot earlier because using that excuse that 
you know, if we're going to have a fall season, the, they need they need downtime. They need off season for the bodies to recuperate. When he's not being that transparent because David Shaw wants an earlier season because he kind of wants to fit in the football season before he loses eight guys to the NFL draft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got like probably half of his offensive line that would consider not playing the season rather than work out for the NFL draft. I love that he said that with, yeah. And everyone who knows, and I try to clue in people, David Shaw just wants everyone to play early so that he'll be able to play with his NFL draft picks. So. And I, I, the thing is, even if you take it in good faith, I think it is a good point. The earlier you can start playing this thing, the better, I think, from a lot of different angles. Um, if you don't play, I mean, we went through it a bunch, and I do still think it's like largely bad faith, the arguments against doing a spring, because you, you just push the next season out. The thing is, the later this season would go, so if you start in like March and you take it through May, you have to push the next one out even further, and if you push the next one out even further, that might even disrupt the following season. Like, if you have to go... Right. It March. could be just an eight-game season, from what I'm hearing. Right. All-conference, eight games. Yeah, you do eight games this spring, then you maybe do all-conference ten games next year, and then maybe you can get it back to normal, or you try to do a full season, and then you also push 2022 back a, you know, a couple of weeks, whatever. Doesn't uh, All that stuff, I think, can get figured out logistically. Um but I, I think Shaw, you know, good intentioned or not, I think it is a good point that the earlier you can do this, the less disruptive it's going to be for everything. The future of, you know, college football and all that kind of stuff. And there's a real added wrinkle that the Pac-12 and Big Ten need to consider, which is in that scenario where the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 play, how willing are they going to be if you play a March through May spring season and you have to delay your season, how willing are they going to be to play ball? and also delay their own seasons in 2021. If they're not, then you're talking about at least two seasons where you're not going to be aligned with the other football leagues. What does that mean for the playoff? What does that mean for bowl games? What does that mean for any of this other surrounding stuff? Um, and that's where it gets kind of really complicated and tricky. And there's contracts, you know, how willing is LSU going to be to let UCLA out of its contract? Um, if they're not able to line up on the date. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of trickiness here, which also makes me think that behind the scenes, given the realities of the situation, given everything that's going on, I, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are probably not going to play because I don't think there's gonna wanna, they're going to want to make it this kind of contentious atmosphere when they're also counting on a lot of those non-conference games themselves. And uh, refresh my memory. What is the first conference that uh, plays its fall season? AC, and when? A ACC, ACC starts like September, the second or third week of September. And isn't the North Carolina in the ACC? North Carolina and Notre Dame is technically part of the ACC oh, this year. Oh, that is true. And Syracuse, which is also having its own issues, is part of the ACC. So to start that off, then they need to get into fall, like real fall camp. Yeah, no, UNC needs to be in, you know, not quite game prep, but getting there. And, and, uh, yeah, uh, let's just say conservatively fall camp by next week. Yeah. I mean, it's August 21st when we're recording this. I mean, this is, you're getting into tight territory. I mean, UNC, let me look up their schedule when they play. UNC. And, and it's usually that the conventional fall camp is 29 days before your first game. But 
don't forget uh, that's without the same kind of summer, without the spring and without the same kind of summer. But let's just say they have been working out at North Carolina. They have been. been. Yeah, they have been. So just you need 29 days. Syracuse, Syracuse at UNC, uh, September 12th. September 12th? September 12th. <laughs> what? Yeah, so they're trying to get this done in, well, what is that, 24 days? Read it, three weeks. Yeah. They have not started anything that looked like fall camp, right? Or had they? I don't know if it was fall camp. They were certainly working out. Um, yeah. But they had to pause those. Um, were they in pads? I don't know. Yeah. But regardless, because- if they have to pause for any appreciable point, any appreciable amount of time now, that's that's going to be hard to get back in the saddle. Yeah. So <laughs> we've got a few weeks. This is this is like that. You know, we're just sitting back and watching with that little uh, tub of popcorn. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and you know what? That leads us into. I wrote another story earlier in the week about just trying to give fans the perspective on, you know, UCLA's own image of itself in all this um, and what really led and what would also lead in the future to UCLA always and Cal and Stanford and the Pac-12 coming down on the side of to be more cautious over all this. Um, And I know all of you fans out there, uh, you know, want college sports. Look! Look who's talking. <laughs> I mean, not only are you, Dave and I big college sports fans, um, yeah, you know, it, it's a part of our livelihood. You would say. <laughs> you so, you would say that because it's because it's true. Because it is. So we want this season to happen. We want sports to happen too. And in our in your enthusiasm for that, you can sometimes skip over literally the school that you're rooting for and what their own self-image and how they view themselves. UCLA, Cal, Stanford, think of themselves seriously as near Ivy League schools. I think they have a reason to do that, you know, with their academic standing in the world. Um, UCLA's budget its university budget is $8.5 billion. The UCLA Athletic Department's budget is $100 million. That's 1.18% of its budget. Um, I, I'm not saying that the university doesn't care about athletics, but when it comes to whether it's going to risk the health of its student-athletes, and let's just say there's a student in that of student athlete, it's it's kind of not worth it to them. Um, just not from the bottom line of you know we only care about this one percent. It's it's just also their overall mindset that they are a place of higher learning. They're not they don't consider themselves a place of higher athletics necessarily. Athletics, like I wrote, is kind of that redheaded stepchild associated with the university that they see as a necessary evil, but they are in the business of higher education. That's, that's what their business is. Imagine you're UCLA and you're the vast majority of the people there. Like I said, don't know what a spread is or a matchup zone. And 
every day they they are competing to keep this university or to push this university in its academic reputation and its achievement. And that's what they do. And there's a chance that a football player could come down with COVID-19 and have serious health risks. And that kind of is a blemish on the university's reputation. Wow. I mean, there's so much, I'm, I don't think I'm even succeeding and maybe you can help out Dave, but just, and I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm just saying, trying to give the UCLA fan a sense of the school you're rooting for. This is not Alabama, Georgia, Auburn. It's it, it, that's not what UCLA is. Um, it is, it is essentially rice or Northwestern, but in a lot better area and can recruit better. (laughs) It has, it has the, it has the potential to be one of the most unique combinations of, of, academics and athletics in the world. I, I mean, it it won the most national championships until Stanford, you know, had tiddlywinks as its sport. Yeah. Um, it's a unique place, and it's only achieving a lot in sports because of so many advantages, like it's, you know, it's in Bel Air. Um, so it needs it probably, just to give a little perspective, an appreciation of, what a great place UCLA is as a whole. Um, there was that story when I was walking along UCLA and I was, this is a couple of years ago and I was, I don't know, I was bitching about how UCLA wasn't taking something seriously in athletics. And it was a good friend of mine who's a sports, he's in the administration athletic department there. And he literally, this is the truth. He pointed over at the medical center and he said, you know, Tracy over there, they're curing cancer. <laughs> I said, well, you know what? Screw you for your high-mindedness and putting me in my place. Yeah. Um, but it kind of does give you, you know, a bigger perspective that there are higher-minded things going on here, and it's not just about liability and money. And I'm not saying it's even a, a higher moral ground. It's just a different. People have a different self-image of themselves who work and live UCLA than maybe the UCLA sportsman. And maybe we should all embrace that. It's not just about liability and money. Yes. It's partially about liability and money. They don't want anybody to get sick, and they don't want anybody to die, and they don't want anybody to sue them. Um, And I think that's a big part of it. But I I agree with you. I think there is a higher-minded thing here that goes on with these institutions, especially UCLA, but also I think a lot of these, frankly, a lot of the Big Ten and the Pac-12. I mean, these are acclaimed academic research institutions, almost all of them. Um, So it's a lot of universities who have a much broader mission than just succeeding in athletics. And the same cannot really be said uniformly about the SEC, about the Big 12, and about the ACC. They're not part of that same group of, you know, high tier research institutions by and large. There are some, there are some, but they're not, um, in the same crowd as the big 10 and, uh, and the PAC 12. So all of that totally makes sense. Um, and I, you know, I, my stance on it is well known, but I think UCLA is behaving responsibly. I think most of these, the PAC 12 and big 10 are also behaving responsibly. And I think at the end of the day, the other universities are probably going to follow suit unless something drastically changes. Maybe these rapid tests that come out 
the, these saliva tests that um, the Yale NBA study, maybe they come out and they're great and you can get them done really easily and cheaply. And that's a game changer. Uh, completely granted that might happen. Um, yeah. But if it doesn't, if that's not a game changer, I, again, just have a hard time seeing everyone getting from A to B here um, from or from A to C, actually. Where's the missing step B? Because we're all saying, OK, they're going to play, but how are they going to solve these liability issues? How are they going to solve, um, you know, the fact that each of these universities does have attached to it a big academic arm that is much more of a moneymaker for every single one of these universities than the football team. I'd say academic body and athletic fingernail. Right. And that's true yeah. of, uh, it's true of UCLA to a probably broader extent, but it's true of every single one of these universities. I mean, their dollars come from other things. Um, and the academic, the, the athletics, when it's working its best, it's certainly a profitable enterprise for the university. No question about that. But in addition to it, it's good for exposure. It's good for applications. It's good for all of that stuff that's kind of soft factors that you can't really measure. But when you see it, you know it's there. Like, for example, when Texas A&M, when Johnny Football, when that whole thing was happening, suddenly their endowment grew hugely. Suddenly their yeah. applications exploded overnight. All that kind of stuff. That's very true. That's very possible. Um, but at the end of the day, that's that's not the, the year-to-year revenue for a university. It's all this other stuff that none of these places are going to want to put at risk if they can help it. Um, now, in some areas, there's more football craziness, and as we talked about, there's politics involved. And that's just talking about this, not even judging it, but there's politics involved. These are mostly in states where they have not been as stringent with the mask requirements and all that kind of stuff. And all of the presidents of these universities, they're operating businesses, essentially, and they have to be cognizant of the political reality they're in, as well as the you know, reality on the ground at their universities. So they've got, a, I think, a more complex problem than um, UCLA did and than a lot of these Pac-12 and Big Ten schools did. Um, the, the Big Ten, I think, has more issues because of places like Iowa, places like Nebraska, places like Ohio, that, you know, those, those governors of those states and, and those states generally are skewing a little bit different with their assessment of the risk of this issue. Um, and that has caused some consternation within that league. The Pac-12 is more or less uniform. You know, there's Utah, but I think Utah has been, you know, the university is fine, you know, going along with the rest of Pac-12. But every other, you know, major university, I mean, the Arizona schools decided they were going to do in-person and then backed off that. Um, but by and large, it hasn't been as tough of an issue for them to crack because they've, they've had alignment from their state governments for the most part. Um, the SEC. And then there's a guy like the Oregon president who has been really phenomenal in a lot of things he said. I, yeah. I mean, it's not, and let's just say it, I mean, Oregon isn't among the elite acad academic schools in the Pac-12, but damn if they're not trying to uphold this academic moral ground here. Which, well, and the thing is, uh, compared to the rest of the Pac-12, no, but compared to like an SEC school? Right. Oregon's, yeah. Oregon's, yeah. Oregon pisses on them. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just... Uh, there's there's that reality. There's a lot of things that I think for a SEC, you know, chancellor or president right now, they've got a very tough, tough, tough job over the next few weeks um, because they have to keep their campus safe. They have to limit their own liability. They have to, you know, they're they're hearing from their professors, too. And they're, you know, chairs of departments who are like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this when X, Y and Z is happening? You know, I know. 
University of Georgia and University of uh, and sorry uh, Georgia Tech University, their whole faculty was up in arms a month ago because those universities weren't going to require masks because they were trying to obey the political reality in their state. Um, there's going to be that sort of inter-university fight that isn't happening as much out west or up in uh, up in you know upper Big Ten country at least. So. Um, they've got a tough job, and if any of them are inclined to close, they've got a much, much tougher job because they've got to convince people. They've got to um, take it as far as it can go, and that's why I think a lot of what's been happening right now is more or less theater. Um, they're trying to show their various constituencies that they have given it their very best shot, but I don't think they're going to be willing to open up um, the universities to such an amount of risk and such an amount of financial risk that'll come with trying to play a football season, trying to pull it off. It, it just makes me just think, I, you know, I come up with other things too, just to try to get you to understand how differently these worlds are. Um, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, think of themselves far closer to the Ivy league than they would the sec. They, the Ivy League considers its, its athletics, you know, what, a fun tradition and kind of a diversion? UCLA and, and Stanford, the university thinks of athletics in that same way, but it just happens that UCLA and Stanford's athletics make a little bit of money. That, that is really the way to look at it. I, I remember... Uh, um, a UCLA coach a number of years ago who had come from uh, came from the Big 12. And he had a player at UCLA that who was right on the borderline of not being qualified to play. They were waiting on his they were waiting on his quarterfinal grades. Um, he took the test and they were trying to get the results of the test from the professor and they couldn't get the results. And uh, the professor literally went on, you know, his break. And this coach was bitching to me saying, whenever coaches just, you know, whenever coaches, I talk to coaches and they're dissatisfied with UCLA, they always say, what is it with your school? That's what I always get that. Like it's me doing this, but I remember him saying, what is it with your school? The school I in the Big 12, if I had a final, I'd be able to walk over to that professor's office or more accurately, that professor would have run over to me with his final grades and said, hey, coach, your player can play. He, he passed here at UCLA. They don't even care that that's a player. They don't care. He went on his little break. We can't get a hold of him. They I've been told that I have to wait for him to put in his this player's grade with everyone, all the other students' grade. That's that's the mindset here, just so y'all kind of get it. Now, whether that really pisses you off or not, that UCLA will never win at the highest level, possibly so, but there aren't too many places that are going to be a top 25 university in a lot of rankings, top 10 university in the world, and play this kind of competitive sports where you can – you know, well, and if you're into like the cutthroat just play thing, then I mean, still follow UCLA and follow it religiously, and please keep checking the site several times a day. But <laughs> also adopt a pro team. 
Because you don't have to worry yeah. about any of this assorted stuff if you're watching a pro team. Um, Did you mean the SEC when you said pro team? Yes. Um, okay. Obviously, adopt Alabama. Um, yeah. But, you know, adopt the Rams or whatever. Or if you already watch the Rams, then, like, come on. It's a different sport. You know, college football has all this assorted stuff. It's part of why a lot of us enjoy it is all this other stuff that kind of makes it interesting. You know, the the fact that the rosters turn over constantly. Um, you know, the fact that a lot of these guys aren't going to go pro. And some of them are, you know, in between, you know, looking like regular humans and looking like pro athletes. You know, it's kind of fun to see, um, you know, mismatches, seeing a group of five school with, you know, not a single pro prospect take it to a, you know, an FBS team or a, a, a power five team. That's all fun to see. And that's part of why I think all of us enjoy the sport. But coming with that is the fact that the, these kids have to go to class and they have to be treated in some way like students. Um, now, if they change the structure of the sport, then that's a whole different deal. But as it is, um, they're associated with a university that has to consider the realities for not just the whatever hundred some odd guys on the team between scholarships and walk-ons and the, you know, 40,000 people who might come to campus on a given day, um, or who might be, you know, in and around the program, the thousands of people who might be working. Um, so They've got a lot of other things to consider. NFL teams, they've got to consider, like, whatever, the 300 employees of the organization. Um, so it's just a different deal. Um, and I think we all need to just sort of accept that and not, you know, if if we're really excited about that part of it, then it just you're probably going to have pro football to watch. It's going to happen, I would think, um, even if people get sick, I think, because they're, you know, they're paying millions of dollars and they want this thing to happen and, uh, and uh, guys want to collect their checks. So I think it'll happen. But... Um, college football might be just a harder sell and it might be harder sell because of just the realities of the sport. There's something about college sports. You and I have talked about this for so long, as long as you and I have known each other, there's something about college sports that make it just better, more attractive, more meaningful to me. And well, it's associated with something that you, you, I think the fact that, that you it is care a, about well, it's ideology. associated with the university I went to and the university yeah. that my dad went to and my older brother went to like, it's, you know, it means something. It means something. Yeah. And, and it's made up of amateurs, these kids who are 20 years old who aren't going pro and they're basically playing a sport to, to earn a degree. Um, and a lot of them do know that. I, I, hate, I While they all think a lot of them have some secret fantasy they're going pro, I'll, more basketball players than football players, as you've said. There are quite a few football players who maybe have that secret dream that they dust off every once in a while. But they do know that they're there because they're working their ass off to earn a scholarship so they can get an advanced degree at a, you know a great university. So those are the guys that... I mean, isn't that what you're rooting for too? That they're that they're these amateur players that are not pros. I, I'd rather I so much love. I'd rather watch a college football game with all of its mistakes and turnovers and bad throws and drop balls than something that's so slick and and just kind of sterile as for pro football. And I know everyone loves. But that's just me. There's something else to it. You know, it's uh, the um, the obvious deficiencies in the game actually make it superior to watch for me. Yeah. Um, the obvious, like, okay, these guys aren't as big and fast and strong as the NFL players, but they're also not as equal. 
and seeing the way um, coaches can have an impact at the college football level in a different way from the NFL because there isn't that equality of athlete. So even between you know conference opponents, watching Oregon State try to scheme its way around the fact that it doesn't have as much talent as hell even UCLA last year, but USC that's fun to watch. Um, and especially when you get down into like oh let's see what Boise State can do now um, against whatever Oregon they're playing this year or whatever it is. That's part of it, um, the, and that's why like I. I the sport itself, I think, is a more enjoyable watch. And that's why, like, the parts of it I do find distasteful, like, I really want those to change. You know, the part that we're, you know, watching a bunch of underpaid, if you want to say underpaid, but watching underpaid athletes doing all this stuff. I'd like yeah. them to get some bigger cut of the pie, um, or at least get their NLI rights. Um, because then you will, you just feel better about watching it. You'll feel better about enjoying it so much because the one thing the NFL has going for it, I mean, obviously there's a lot of problems with how they deal with their labor, but one of the things they have going for it is they're paying these guys um, a reasonable amount of money. Um, so you don't have that kind of sticky feeling because we all know the risks associated with football. We all know the CTE stuff. We all know that stuff now. Um, so at least feeling like you're watching something where guys are fairly compensated for you know, they're putting their bodies on the line uh, for our entertainment is, you know, that would make it better. But and, and like, it's superior. Like, it's a superior yeah. game to the NFL. That's the main Just point. like this, there are stories like, damn, I, I mean, there are so many stories about kids who, who, you know, really decided to dedicate themselves to their sport in college to – because they were and what were they doing it for? They they weren't doing it because they were pros and they were getting paid fifty million dollars. I mean, just like a walk on to UCLA, Ethan Fernier, who's a former walk on who's now a scholarship player who's going into his red shirt senior year, works you know, I mean, I can tell you good stories about this kid. He worked his ass off as a walk on. And he was from he's from Texas. Um, Dripping Springs, Texas, actually, which is just a great name for a town. Um, dripping, he, dripping, dripping, not a great word. <laughs> he'd have to be in Los Angeles during the summer for workouts when he was a walk-on, and out-of-state tuition is not cheap, and he'd need a job while the coaching staff at the time was pressuring him to not have a job so he could go to the workout. So, I mean, between football and his job, it was like 70 hours a week and both were pulling on him and he worked his way through. He persevered. He earned a scholarship. I mean, these are the stories and, and finish it off. He, what scored his first touchdown last year against Colorado, right? Just to see that in a kid. I don't know. Yeah. Pretty amazing stuff. Pretty amazing. Which makes college sports so much better. It's a great sport. We love it. So we're rooting for not just about everyone to win national championships. We're rooting for what the just the concept of college sports as well as the people. Yes. Very much so. Wow, we're getting really profound here today. We let off with a bunch of philosophy and we close with uh, profundity. Pretty, pretty good stuff, Dave. It's pretty great. Pretty great. You got anything else? Because we're at an no. hour and 11 minutes, Tracy. 
I'm going to leave it at that. I think that was a good finish. Well, I'm uh, I'm sorry we couldn't get to all the stuff that was uh, you know obviously <laughs> left off at the cutting room floor, but I think we we gave people a lot. We gave people a lot about the uh, subjects, the many subjects we covered. Wasted all that time in that PowerPoint. Yeah, well, you know it was good to organize our thoughts. Um, you know, it's all about the prep time. You know, this this show it's this is the tip of the iceberg, everyone. You don't see the hours we spend underwater molding this iceberg. Um, all you see is the tip that capsizes your ship. Yep. All right. Okay, David. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. Everyone be safe.